Coach, can we just start from we start from the back? What happened there in the handshake line with you and Coach Otzelberger? Uh, none. We just talked about n- n- nothing happened. We talked about a situation that took place during the game, and he said he would check into it. And I told him thank you and went on. I love TJ. Great job. Great. Uh, what an unbelievable environment out there. You know, uh, he does a great job. His team is tough. They, they play together. They're fun to watch, no fun to play against. You know, um, I have, have all the respect in the world for him, what he does with his program, and I appreciate him hearing me out, and uh, and he said he would check into it. What was the situation that you raised? I'd let, I'll let keep that between me and TJ. Uh, yeah, sorry, Jerome, but we saw you clearly pointing into the stands or something, very agitated there for a few minutes in the second half. Can you explain at all what got your attention there and what had you upset? No. I mean, I, I know you saw what you saw, but I'm not going to talk about it. So if we're going to talk about the game, I'm more than happy to talk about the game. And uh, TJ and I will, 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 will figure that part of it out. Welcome back to the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Let's check in with Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. Mike, good morning. How are you? I am well, guys. How are you? Doing, uh, doing great. Looking forward to the AFC Championship game between the uh, Chiefs and the Ravens on Sunday. Uh, but, boy, last night, that was uh, that was an emotional game between K-State and Iowa State up in Ames. Uh, Iowa State pulled away late and won 78-67, but a lot of complaints from the K-State side of things about the officiating, the number of fouls called against K-State, and uh, fan conduct. And there's been talk of fans throwing stuff at the K-State bench, and I think that's what uh, Jerome Tang was uh, talking to T.J. Otzelberger about uh, after the game. He didn't want to elaborate on that in the press conferences. He heard that clip, but um, your thoughts on the uh, 78-67 victory by Iowa State over K-State last night? Yeah, I I understand why coaches get frustrated uh, when there's no appreciable difference in the style of play. I mean, one team takes 21 threes, the other team takes 24. So how how one team could shoot 39 free throws and the other shoot 23, it's hard to really understand that. If, if one team is driving the basketball constantly and, and their three-point attempts are down around a dozen or something and the other team is constantly passing it around the perimeter, maybe driving and kicking it a bit. Driving and kicking doesn't often lead to fouls uh, because once you get to a certain spot, you're not going deeper, and the defense doesn't usually commit to you until you get closer to the rim. So driving and kicking doesn't create a lot of fouls. So so usually if you can look at uh, the team's three-point attempts and they are relatively equivalent – then the free throw attempts should be relatively equivalent. You're always going to have probably a few more as a home team than you are on the road. I think we've accepted that by now, but it's a pretty huge disparity, I would say. And and I think that, that I, that's something I understand why why Kansas State fans or Coach Tang would be upset. Um, honestly, I didn't think it was a well-officiated game generally, um, I know there was the, there was the call that got te- uh, Jerome his technical late, and that and that preceded the the uh, lengthening of the disparity between the two teams. But there was a there was a play prior to that when Iowa State drove the ball, and two 
Wildcats basically collided, and they called a foul on uh, on on Iowa State uh, for an illegal screen that didn't happen. They screened each other. Um, they called the foul the one that that uh, that Jerome got the tee on because a guy stepped on an opponent's foot and fell down. Well, that's I mean you've got to be watching the game. I mean, what are you doing? He stepped on his foot. It is not your like. It is not your responsibility to have your foot amputated to play basketball. <laughs> like if somebody steps on it, it's their fault. But the ref in, in that the ref uh, who made that call, I believe, was involved in the uh, that uh, that illegal screen that I didn't see uh, that I saw two K State players collide. I just didn't think, from what I saw, he had a very good game. Um, and in general, it, it's, it is, like I said, it's hard to justify that level of disparity. Lots of times, how come they shot 40 free throws and we shot 15? Well, I mean, you were chucking threes all night. You didn't want to be near the basket. But that's not what happened last night in Ames. Yeah, I, I mean, the call that uh, that led to Tang's technical foul was, a, like you said, it was a particularly stark one, too, because it was there wasn't a lot of traffic. It was two guys and... I don't know. It, it was yeah. obviously a bad call. Um, the, I guess the overall big picture, I'm curious just your thoughts, though. I mean, look, like you said, when you go on the road in, in a conference like the Big 12 and in arenas like Hilton, you're not going to get as many calls as the home team very often. So we know that's part of it. But it was a tie game. It was 61-61 with four minutes to go. And Iowa State ended up, you know, they went on an 8 nothing run there, uh, sparked by that technical and, and closed the game out. But before this game, Stephen was asking me, like, hey, are, are you going to consider Iowa State a real contender? Uh, I'm sorry, Kansas State a real contender for the Big 12? They're 4 and 1. They're at the top of the, of the conference. And I said, well, they got at Iowa State, they got at Houston. I think it'll be interesting to see if they can come up with a win in one of those two. <laughs> um, I don't know. Many people are going to win in Iowa State or Houston this year. Where do right. you factor K State in now that they're 4 and 2 and, and it's seemingly in the thick of it right now? Well, I, I think they're good enough to be to finish in in a NCAA tournament spot in the upper half of the league, but I don't think they're a serious contender. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't want to insult any K State fans with that. But I think that with everything they lost, and I mean, goodness, they lost more than just about anybody. Uh, with everything they lost, to be as relevant as they are right now, and to have started the league so well, I think is pretty impressive i mean they could certainly demonstrate that i'm incorrect uh but their their four and two record is fashioned around ucf at home baylor at home which is a good win but still at home oak state at home so you've played uh the least the the least effective team in the league in oak state and gotten them at home um obviously they played very well at texas tech and and couldn't quite get it done i mean i think that's the one that's going to that one will haunt them for a while because they were so close to getting one of the really good road wins that you can get. Because I, I, I like Texas Tech a lot. I, I think that McCaslin's a very good coach, and uh, I think I, I don't think they're again. I don't think they're a contender either. But I, I like their team, and I think they're going to be in the in the upper half of the league as well. And when you have a league like this, being in the upper half, I mean, probably gets you, almost certainly gets you in the tournament. Uh, and there's, there, there aren't very many leagues like that this year. This will be the one that if you're, if you're in the upper half, you're going to get in. Uh, and, again, they don't look at league record, but most of the teams 
in the Big 12 did enough out of conference that, that if they can just hang in there in conference play, they're going to have gotten enough done generally to get in. Well, how does uh, K-State match up against Houston since they're playing them on Saturday? Well, Houston is a, just an amazing defensive team. Uh, they are they are so physical. They're so effective. Uh, they went up to BYU the other night and gave uh, and BYU playing at home twenty three thousand people didn't matter. Uh, they got it done in the end. It's a really hard game to win. If, if they can be in, in the game in the final five minutes and then and then uh, find a way, but. Uh, I, I think that, that just running their offense against Houston will be a real challenge. It's a totally different deal than what they faced last night, where they str- they struggled on the boards against Iowa State, which is not a overwhelmingly physical team. How do they handle themselves on the boards against a Houston team that is an overwhelmingly physical team? I think that's a a real challenge for K State. Meanwhile, Iowa State's back at home this weekend against Kansas, and Kansas has shown some struggles on the road with lesser teams than Iowa State here so far in Big 12 play. So what do you think of that matchup? Well, I think it starts with, I I, I think it starts with K-State, excuse me, KU understanding that when they go on the road, and a lot of these guys haven't been through that. A couple of them have. Obviously, DeWan and and Kevin uh, from a year ago went through that. But and, and KJ, but the, a lot of the guys that are playing don't understand that when you're KU and you go on the road, every team that you play, it's not about winning that night. Well, maybe it is for some, like a UCF or somebody like that, uh, the one that, or West Virginia, just trying to find anything to celebrate in a season. But for a lot of teams in your league, you're a ticket. Uh, they look at you as if we can get that one, uh, we got a shot at getting to the tournament. That, that's a huge motivating factor for a lot of teams in the Big 12 at this point. And you have to be able to meet that intensity. And it's not easy to do that. Uh, but I think that KU's at the, at the level now where they, ha- they, they understand that this is not going to come easy to them. They, they, play, they play very comfortably through non-conference. And even though they were playing relatively four-on-five for a lot of that, uh, they played very comfortably through non-conference, but now they find out that it's a little different in league play. So I think that's a, I think that's a good lesson to have learned in the first half dozen games of, of a really deep, capable league, uh, the best league in college basketball. Uh, I think that that's a good lesson for them to have learned. I think Johnny Furphy starting to uh, contribute offense uh, is is helpful because it allows other players. Uh, to, to be more effective, to have more space. I think that it's a particular advantage to someone like KJ uh, who gets more space to move around the, around the lane. Uh, Hunter Dickinson should see more single coverage or more late doubles when teams do double because they have to come farther because Furphy stretches them out. So all of that is a positive, even though they haven't played great over the last three, four conference games. Furphy's emergence, I mean, he has been, he's not been uh, a superstar, but he has become a consistent contributor on offense. That's three consecutive double-figure games that he's delivered. Uh, He's he's made shots in every one of those games. Not always super efficient. I mean, there's a three and nine and with a two, three of fours. But that changes who Kansas is. 
to have at least a fifth guy contributing, especially on offense, because that's DeWan doesn't score much. Um, I tend to think he needs to dial that up a little bit with where this team is. I know it's not really his personality, but it is within his capabilities. Uh, I think he needs to dial that up a little bit uh, because KJ's not a shooter. Uh, so you want to have more more assets on offense uh, than KU's had to this point in the season. And so Furphy emerging is a good step. DeWan has been a wonderful player throughout his career, but I think you know I think that. Uh, progress is part of being an effective athlete, and I, I think I don't think it's asking too much to ask DeJuan to to start to look at the rim a little more. Uh, you, you want him to be the quarterback. You want him to be the distributor. He's as good at, at that as anybody. You want him to lead the defense. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I think the fact that he that he took ten shots in the uh, Bearcats game on Monday. I, I think that's a real step forward for him. Uh, he's, he's not done that often in, in, in his career. He's only done it once other, one other time, um, two other times this year. But here's an interesting stat for you. Right now, KU is 3-0 and when DeJuan takes double-figure shots. Wow. There you go. <laughs> Get him. I, you know, it would be nice to actually have people want you to shoot more. I never had that happen to me in my uh, youth basketball <laughs> career. So usually the opposite. So um, I, I can't identify with DeJuan Harris on that. But your, your point about Furphy is, to me, is huge because we've been talking about that since we started our conversations with you, Mike, that the biggest question for KU is who's going to be that fifth guy. And he has stepped up. He looks like he's getting confidence, obviously, that – he came in with the reputation of being a guy that could be a good shooter, which is something they really need. And, yeah, two out of the last three games he's shot well from beyond the arc. Um, he's had some moments where he has had defensive lapses and lapses in boxing yeah. out uh, that cost him particularly in the game against West Virginia. But I guess I'm, if I'm a KU fan, I'm optimistic that as a freshman – those are things he can still continue to improve on as the season goes on. Um, and, and so I guess I'm curious, how, how much do you think it's fair to expect him to improve defensively and, and, and on the boards, and how, and, and how much do they need that if he's really going to be that fifth guy? Well, I think it would be helpful for him to improve in those areas, and I think it's certainly possible. But I also think that what is, is sometimes overlooked is that once a player like that establishes that he can handle himself on offense, which is in a lot of cases the hardest part of basketball, it, it, I, if you don't, if you can't, if you can't really contribute on offense, then you have to be extraordinary uh, in other areas so in the way that KJ is. I mean, and, he, and I understand like he's a great putback guy, and you can run sets for him to get him to the rim and that sort of thing, but he doesn't initiate offense he doesn't draw defenders away from the goal um so so he has limitations on offense so so you you have to with with a guy like johnny um you have someone who is right away or, or not right away but recently uh showing that he can handle himself as a more or less full time player on offense so that allows you to do more things offensively than you were able to do over the first two months. Uh, you can stretch the floor now, in, and, and like I said, allow K.J. more of those rim runs. 
uh, or more or, or e- less difficult. I hate to use the word easier. I have to train myself away from that. Less difficult post-ups for Hunter if Johnny's out there as a three-point threat. Um, and so the offensive end gets decomplicated. Defensively then, okay, so if Johnny's, Johnny is slightly disadvantaged, uh, let's say, at the defensive end, and there are issues where maybe he misses a box out or uh, maybe he doesn't uh, hold up physically against somebody's drive or something like that. There, now that you know that you can play him on offense, you can, you can coach around what he doesn't do defensively because you've got a 250-pound 6'11 or 7-foot center who can block shots. You've got the most dynamic power forward in the game. You've got uh, Kevin McCullough, who's been a contender for Defensive Player of the Year in various seasons. And you've got a point guard who's as good against the ball as anybody in college basketball. So can you cover for, with those four guys? Can you cover for a wing who's not great at D? Yeah, you can. You, just, you have to scheme around a little bit. The guys have to be aware of what he's not great at. You try not to put him in situations where he's more or less isolated. Uh, all those things can be handled, uh, both with a very veteran team, which you are fortunate to have in the other four players, and with the, you know, the best coach in college basketball uh, running the show. So I, I think you want him to improve. And I, I think he wants to improve because he wants to have a career beyond this. But it's not an emergency. The emergency was you didn't have a fifth guy that you could run that you can run offense with. And now that emergency appears, given the recent results, that emergency emergency appears to be rectified. Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News is our guest. All right, Mike, before we let you go, I would like to uh, have you put on your uh, Pittsburgh Steelers hat. Uh, for us, because the Steelers beat the Ravens twice this year, seventeen to ten. I know the second one was against some Ravens backups, uh, but still, earlier in the season, uh, in Week Five, the Steelers won seventeen to ten, and they were one of the few teams that really slowed down uh, Lamar Jackson and had him ineffective. Uh, and so, I'd just like to get your thoughts on this matchup as the Chiefs go to Baltimore to take on the Ravens in the AFC Championship game against a team that you're familiar with? You know, I think part of it, part of controlling Lamar is don't be constantly afraid of him. I think that's what gets teams, that they are so afraid of what he might do if he gets loose on the run that they overcommit and overconcern themselves. And... I, I, I think that I think the Steelers they don't oversell on that. I think they are. They're, they're, he's a constant threat uh, as a, as a runner. It, it, even when even though they call fewer design runs for him, I wrote about this uh, last Friday. They call far fewer design runs for him than they once did. Um, but but out of the pocket, he's still really difficult. Uh, he can. He, he, is, he is as dynamic a runner as there has ever been in the NFL, and I don't mean just as a quarterback. I mean, I'm not saying he's Barry Sanders because there's no other Barry Sanders, but like he's in that class uh, as a runner, and I and I don't say that to demean him. I know a lot of people get bothered um, by you know uh, by talking about his running ability, but that's a big factor in why he's so difficult to contain. Uh, that that's a, that's a huge factor. 
Um, and so I think that I think not you know being aware of him, but not panicking every time his tiptoe crosses the scrimmage line. I think is part of it. Uh, I think trying to force him to trying to force his throws to the sideline is really important. If you give him the middle of the field where he sees better, uh, then, then I think you're in massive trouble. You have to try to guide him towards the sideline. He's much less accurate when he throws to the sideline uh, and, and less effective. Um, if you give him the middle of the field, which is where he's accustomed to because he spent most of his first several years as a quarterback throwing over the middle to Mark Andrews, um, so and I don't, I don't I haven't paid attention to know if Andrews is back, but he, I know he hasn't played much lately. Um, but he's better at throwing to wideouts now than he was because he's got better wideouts. But again, I think it's still really important to try to force him outside the numbers on his throws. Uh, when you pass rush, you have to pass rush. Uh, you have to be aware of what he can do to get away from you. So blitzing is a little bit uh, dicey. Because he's probably shaking your blitzer, especially if you blitz with a small, uh, with a safety or a corner. You're, there's a good chance you're not getting him. If you if you if you want to just force a quick throw, you could do that. But if you think you're going to bring him down, it's probably not going to happen if you blitz a corner or safety. Uh, and then the other thing is you got to keep them off the field, and that's something that the Chiefs with Pacheco have been much better at this season than they traditionally have. I mean, uh, they were so dynamic over previous seasons on offense, and they often scored quickly. Uh, now they're controlling the, the football more, and I think that's really important for Sunday. You, you, you don't want their offense on the field, and you have to move the ball against what's an outstanding defense in Baltimore. Uh, they, they really are great defensively. They're hard, they're, they're, they're hard on the run, so you've got to be clever, but I, you can run the ball on them. Uh, Najee Harris got 112 in in the, the 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 first game. Excuse me, in the second game he got 112 yards on them. I know they were playing fewer uh, fewer of the regulars then, but uh, I think that you can get him if you if you get them uh, defensively. I think you can move the ball against them. Uh, and then obviously Patrick's got to be Patrick as as much as Lamar is Lamar. Uh, at, the, at the very least, match him in magic, and we know that he's capable of that. Should be an outstanding matchup. Uh, Mike, thank you for that insight. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Good luck to your Chiefs. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you, Mike. We will, hopefully. That's uh, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. We'll be right back after this on WHB. It's challenging. Um, the way he's able to just be a competitor and score the, score the football, obviously, and then their entire team. I mean, it's a, it's a tall task. you got to go out there and play your best football, and if you make any mistakes, it seems like uh, the game's going to go the other way. So uh, uh, we've been able to play in a couple games, not in a few years now, um, but I've admired watching him from afar and know that uh, it's going to be a great challenge for us every time we go up against him. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, he's going to be the MVP for a reason. I mean, he's, he goes out there, he, he leads his team, um, he, he scores, um, he, he runs, he throws, he does whatever it takes to win, and, and that's what the great greats do. And uh, uh, like I said, it'll be a great challenge for our defense, but also a great challenge for our offense going against their defense. So uh, it's going to take a, a full team effort if we want to find a way to get a win. Are there parts of his game that you particularly appreciate? Yeah, I think um, – I think the biggest thing that you, you like to see in, in other quarterbacks is, is how they improve every single year. 
Um, and obviously, um, everybody talked about his running, but you can see how he's developed as a passer, throwing from within the pocket, arm angles, making the, the accurate throw in big situations and, and big moments. Um, and that's what the great quarterbacks do. Um, and he continues to get better and better every single year. And so uh, I knew we were going to play in a lot of games like this as our career has gone on, and I'm sure this, won't, this will be the first of many. That was Patrick Mahomes talking about facing Lamar Jackson on Sunday in the AFC Championship game. Let's talk to Adam Kaplan about it. Adam, good morning. How are you? I'm good, man. Look, good win last week. Uh, it was a very interesting game, to say the least, but they survived and they advanced to the big game this weekend. You talk about a game having juice. Uh, the, the last year's MVP against this year's MVP, first time that uh, two MVPs will face each other in the playoffs uh, while they're under the age of 30. You've got, uh, I mean, arguably the two best defenses, or at least two of the best defenses in football, two of the best coaches uh, that have both won world championships in football. What else could you want, Adam, from an AFC championship game matchup? Yeah, plus right now it's just to rain the entire game in Baltimore. So we'll we'll see how that that shapes up in terms of it not raining, you know, the forecast changing. But, yeah, it's... it's, um, it's going to be a fun game. There's no question about it. Lamar Jackson going against him is always a challenge because he could throw it. Well, boy, he throws a beautiful deep ball. Uh, they probably should get Mark Edwards. Uh, uh, Mark Andrews back from his uh, ankle injury. He's been out for over two months. You know, they have a couple injury issues. Now the Chiefs are starting to pile up the injuries. That's a concern of mine. You know, all of a sudden, they've been one of the healthiest teams, and now they're not. Uh, so the, uh, the injuries will certainly uh, potentially impact this game. And uh, it, It's fun. I thought, uh, I thought Mahomes set the thing up pretty well. To, to win in Baltimore, you got to play close to a perfect game. And with the Chiefs' injuries, uh, you know, the three main guys we're watching right now, Joe Tooney with that pec injury, uh, Nick Allegretti played well uh, when he came in, and he does have plenty of starting experience. Yep. Uh, Willie Gay Jr. with his neck injury, he was a limited participant in practice, so that's trending in the right direction. Uh, and then Mike Edwards is still in concussion protocol, though. Uh, Shamari Connor, the, the rookie, played very well in his absence. Uh, what are you hearing about any of those three injuries? And, and maybe tell me what, what, who's the most important one uh, that, uh, that would have the biggest impact uh, on this game if they didn't play. Yeah, the big – well, Joe Tooney, it's a pectoral strain. Those are hard. You're talking about functional, being able to being able to move your arm and your chest. That's always a challenge. Of course, Nottie's uh, – he's got the um, triceps injury, which is in the elbow area. And, you know, Willie Gay, by the way, he, he had the previous neck injury – so we could assume it's an aggravation of that. That would concern me. And I know Connor's a nice story, but he is a rookie. Mike Edwards is a veteran who's been through a lot in his career, so you want to have your veterans. That does worry me that they have all these injuries all of a sudden on defense. But, man, depth is so important in the National Football League. And uh, as Andy Reid giving a shout-out to Brett Veach with uh, the drafting of Connor and, and having some good depth players. So depth is, uh, look, it's big. I mean, there's no question about it. And then... Here's another thing for you. Communication when you're playing a lot of backups is really key because some guys who shouldn't be playing a lot may have to, and you're always worried about that, particularly with Lamar Jackson who could beat you with his arm and his legs. So, Adam, you mentioned that you might have to play a perfect game to beat the Ravens, and the Chiefs' offense for much of the year when we talked to you has, has been a concern, um, but their first two games in the playoffs seem like they've taken their offense up a notch. Uh Obviously, they're going to be playing a better defense this time around than the Dolphins or the Bills presented. But 
Are you seeing signs that this Chiefs offense is capable of more maybe than what they showed in the regular season after these first two playoff games? Yeah, I thought last week, it doesn't show in the passing numbers, but Kelsey, look, Kelsey got open, ran after the catch, had the two touchdowns, MVS with the shot plays, love to see that. Uh, but they ran it so well with Pacheco, they didn't have the need to throw it a lot, but of course they scored 27 points. It was an interesting game, it really was. Yeah, it. that game last week, yeah, it was cold, it was a you know, moderate wind, but we didn't have a bad snowstorm. The snow happened on Friday and Saturday, and they were efficient. I mean, they moved the ball when they had to in the air. Uh, but uh, I was very encouraged with Pacheco. But, again, he's banged up. That That's always a concern with Pacheco's injuries based on his, his running style. But CEH had that beautiful 28-yard run. I mean, that, that was encouraging. Now, obviously, you don't want him being the guy, uh, particularly in a game like this where points are going to be at a premium. It is going to be tough to score, I can tell you. Now, we should mention with Baltimore, the one defensive injury, and it's definitely key, it's Marlon Humphrey, the best corner who's really, really good. He's had this lingering calf injury for about six weeks. He's missed a lot of time. Uh, he started working yesterday. We'll know more today, and obviously tomorrow's the final day of practice for the week. But, boy, it would help them when they throw it, not having him there. And, you know, Baltimore, you, there are times you could throw against them. They, they, have, they have good depth at corner, but they don't have any elite corners other than Humphrey. So the, the weather factor is going to be interesting yeah. because – uh, we, we had our weather guy on yesterday, and he said that maybe there's going to be a dry slot on Sunday where it won't rain so much. But there's also a chance, like you said, it could just rain up until and, and throughout this game. Uh, which team, if, if, if it does favor either team, which team would, would that favor if, uh, if it's a sloppy uh, track out there? Now, ball control, one thing we should mention, when the running backs have to take care of the football. Now, You've got Gus Edwards, who's their lead back. Justice Hill, 43, is a changeup. Dalvin Cook, now, uh, Jet Source told me they felt he lost a step, and, you know, he has to be cut because he wasn't he was not getting any playing time, and he had a nice play last week. But he's the third back. He could help him in pass pro. So they have enough depth at the position. And then with Pacheco, as great as he's been lately, th- this is a big spot for him. It, yeah, see, I look at hour by hour. What happens before the game doesn't matter. It's in the game. Right now, the hour, hour by forecast, which is what I always look at for football, looks like it's going to rain the entire game. Now, the other thing is there are times when it doesn't rain as hard. We don't know the velocity of it and the velocity of the rain, but you've got to have you, you got to be able to protect the football. That's really big because turnovers, I'm, I, I'd be surprised if there are a lot of points scored in this game. You've got the Chiefs' secondary is really good. Yes, occasionally they're, they're poor against the run. We know that. That's been, that's been an issue. And it starts with Baltimore in the run game. Now, last week was interesting. Remember, they were tied at halftime because they gave up the punt return touchdown. Though they were running the heck out in the first half, Todd Monk and the uh, OC, they came out throwing heavy in the first series, and and they they moved the ball downfield. Once they got the lead, they ran it, and it was over. Houston, who's got one of the best run defense, couldn't stop it. And the other thing is you don't talk about their pass game, but their depth, which was terrible last year, this season with Zay Flowers, their first-round pick, Bateman's finally healthy, come back with a broken foot. Odell Beckham Jr., he's gotten healthier here. Nelson Aguilar, who scored last week, and Devin Duvernay, who's their Pro Bowl punt returner, just came off injured reserve. So they've got they've got better depth this season at receiver. We know it's going to be a, a raucous environment. It, it always is in Baltimore, but particularly considering this is their first chance to host an AFC championship game since 1971. Wow. B- but we in Kansas City have also been on the side of it where – if you haven't had recent playoff success, 
like before Patrick Mahomes got here, for example, if things started to go bad in a playoff game at home, you, you could almost feel the tension in the crowd build, and I, and I felt like the, the players even could, could feel it on the sidelines. And you think that there's – is there any – like in terms of the pressure that's on Lamar Jackson and on this Ravens team, do they feel that at all in this game? Can that work in the Chiefs' favor if it's a close game in the second half? Well, look, Harbaugh won the Super Bowl uh, in, in 2012 against his brother, who's back in the NFL. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, I would say it's more in Lamar. And, and, man, if the Chiefs could get a lead where they can't be – the Ravens have to throw the football. See, that's what you don't know. Because what, what if the Ravens have to throw the football to come back to win? And, by the way, the Chiefs are an excellent road team, including the playoffs that are now at 8-2. and two. So you don't worry about that. I, that's why I like them to win. I – I thought they'd handle it, although it was a crazy game last week. I thought they, they, they went up by three, and that's what happened. That's I think you set it up well. There's going to be a pressure for, on Lamar Jackson here uh, because he, he. I've seen this happen with him. As, as good as he is, and I love watching him, he tends to press when things aren't going well, when they're behind, and he's got to show that in the playoffs. And, by the way, they're not a great road team this season. Um, that, that They are 7-3 and three if you include the playoffs, but they've shown a vulnerability – uh, at home, uh, the Colts came in uh, earlier this season. Kind of a weird game to beat them. Um, the Browns actually moved the ball really well against them and won. And I, I don't count the last game against Pittsburgh because they didn't have anything to play for. But it's not like they're like the most dominant home team. It won't be easy. Uh, it, you're right. It'll be allowed there. I've been there before. And I'm interested to see what the weather looks like. So what's your uh, final prediction? Well, last week I picked the 23-20 Chiefs. I'm going to go Ravens 17 Chiefs 20. Why, you son of a gun. Why, you son of a gun. You nailed it on that one. Yeah. uh, I knew you guys would react. Wow, I love it. All right, Adam Kaplan, then uh, what's your prediction for the NFC Championship game? How's that going to play out? That'll be a fun one. I'm pulling for the Lions and my friends who work there. was with them in training camp for two days when the Jaguars are in town. Like the Niners to win it, but man, Brock, Brock Purdy didn't play well this week. And they're another team; they don't look good from playing from behind. They, see, they're highly, they're highly, pro, they're highly programmed with that West Coast offense. They, they, they're not, they don't, they just, they're not built to play from behind. I'm worried about some of the Lions secondary is not very good. The, the Niners will find a way to win that game, 27-20. So, what's your reaction to the Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers news? Yeah, it is fun. It, it is. It, it, look, it, it, because here's why the Chargers did this. Talking to them, look, they've they've not made a splash in that market. You know, yeah, they were in San Diego and uh, two hours away. Now they're they're in the L.A. market. You know, they, they have the stadium which they moved in, uh, obviously with uh, with the Rams and SoFi. They're moving their headquarters to right near LAX. They just don't have any juice in that area. And getting Jim Harbaugh, who's last team that he played for was with the Chargers, so he knows them. Now, now they're going to be relevant. I'm, I'm really interested to see how much juice this team has now with Harbaugh. They just never had it. They've had this, like, sort of like this cult following with uh, certain fans, but they've never been a national team. And in that market, he could make a splash. I'm really interested to see what happens there. Do you think that it will be end up being a, a success? I mean, people assume yeah. that he'll just come back. But, I mean, going to the same division as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes sure. isn't exactly a recipe for division titles. But they have the quarterback. They, he'll start with a run game there. And Herbert, you know, was banged up. They'll, they'll, he'll get, here's the thing about Harbaugh, giving him, I'm sure, the deal will be in double-digit millions. It has to be a minimum of $10 million. He'll get whatever he wants. 
The Raiders don't have a quarterback. The Broncos don't have a quarterback. I'm not counting Russell Wilson. who won't be there mm-hmm. come March. So, yeah, and obviously you have to deal with the Chiefs and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. But they're going to be relevant now. And the, the juice that he brings in there, the guys that you, you talk, think about this. He's won everywhere he's been. University of San Diego, so he knows that market. Stanford, Michigan, the Niners. He's only done, but, but he's done everything but, but get a uh, Super Bowl title. So and he just got his college title. But he does wear people out. That's the thing. He's a little bit odd, quirky, but he's a hell of a coach. Any word on other the, the uh, other vacancies or Belichick or Vrabel or where they're going to land? Yeah, boy, Vrabel. It's really interesting. I I thought he would have had a job by now. Watch the Atlanta situation. Because Belichick has not gotten it yet, folks. People, you know, there was reporting that he was the favorite, and, and he, barring something unforeseen, he would get it. Well, he hasn't gotten it yet. How about Belichick not having a chance at another job? So if he doesn't get Atlanta, folks, he might be on television this fall. We'll see. You think there's any chance they make a coaching change in Buffalo? No, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, no. He, they would have not let. I've been asked that. I'm like, no. They. You, here's why. You have to. It's why Marvin Lewis, despite never winning, winning a playoff game kept his job for so many years. If you look at where they were before Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean came in there from, from Carolina, from the Panthers together, you got to understand where they were. They had won a playoff game in 20 years. So, that, look, the, the, what Sean's got to do is stop putting so much on Josh Allen's plate. That I, I, lo- I love watching him play. He's incredible. Best One of the best dual-threat quarterbacks we've seen. But they've got to help him. That, that's Their defense is good, but it's not great. It's not elite. They had some injuries in the back end. They, they, they got really decimated by injury in their secondary. They're close, but they're not quite there. Adam, thank you for the time. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Thank you. The official prediction from Adam Kaplan, our NFL insider. He has the Chiefs beating the Ravens 20-17. to 17. We'll be right back after this on WHB. Yeah, I mean, you do after the season. Um, you're so motivated and focused on week in, week out, day in, day out, uh, trying to find a way to get to the Super Bowl and obviously try to win it. Um, but uh, I do have an appreciation for where I ended up, um, the players that I have around me, the coaches that I have around me, um, and the organization that, that, that I'm in and that we're lucky enough to be in this position. Um, but uh, that's stuff that you want to look at when you're done playing. Uh, so right now I'm just focused on today and how I can get better. Welcome back to the show. That's a great question, Jake. I'm sure. I'm, yes, I'm sure they are in house. Yeah, says we will receive later on. Our friends at uh, High V are going to deliver some Wahlburgers, ten dollar lunch deals that includes Paul's favorite, mm. a delicious burger. A drink and either fries or tots all for just ten dollars. We can get that after the show. And Are you a so, fries guy or tots guy? Uh, usually fries, but I like tots too. Man, I love some tots. I like them both. What the hell? Yeah, you ain't got to be either one. Yeah, no, I, I mean I'm a mashed potato guy. Oh, I like. I want my hamburger juice. Yeah, a lot of different doing? great ways to prepare. A I like ha- I like hash browns too. I like baked potatoes. Yeah. I love a good crispy tot, though, with a burger because it's like more surface area to dip into barbecue sauce or ketchup or whatever. I like crinkle cut. Yep. Potatoes. I like fries on the burger. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Smash it down. Yeah, that's right. So here's the deal. Wahlburgers at Hy-Vee is offering a $10 lunch deal, including uh, Paul's favorite, the burger, 
a drink and fries or tots, all for just ten dollars. It's delicious. It'll fill you up, fill you up right. And we have a gift card for forty dollars, which means four ten dollar lunch deals. Lunch for four at Wahlburgers at High V. All right, the Wahlburger. Ten dollar meal deal only at High V. I want my hamburger juices. You got to call nine one three three eight ten eight ten. That's nine one three three eight ten eight ten. In the six o'clock hour, we played three interviews from the locker room yesterday with three different Chiefs players that Nate and I were a part of. What three Chiefs players? I'm not talking about the podium sound, nothing like that. The conversations we had. Jake, you heard those conversations, didn't you? I sure did. Mm-hmm. You I know the three them. players, don't you? I do. All three of them. The first person to name the three players that Nate and I interviewed yesterday, and we played for you in the 6 o'clock hour, will get the $40 gift card to get four $10 lunch deals at Wahlburgers at Hy-Vee. The Wahlburgers $10 meal deal only at Hy-Vee. So call 913-3810-810. 913-3810-810. And tell me what three players Nate and I interviewed in the locker room that we played for you in the 6 o'clock hour. Call now. Call now. If you listen, you win right here on Sports Radio 810 WHP.